Good morning. My name is Jamie, and you're at church. So let's pray something. Father, we thank you for your grace and your mercy and your peace. Help us to hear your truth today. In Jesus' name, amen. So it is the second week of Advent, the season uh, when the church, and that's us, uh, reflects and studies and contemplates Jesus coming to earth. And the reason it's called Advent is that Advent comes from a Latin word, Adventus. Sounds Latin, doesn't it? Looks Latin. And it means arrival, but it doesn't mean any kind of arrival. Like if we arrived somewhere, we would not get the Advent word. Um, it's used specifically for a royal arrival, when a king or emperor arrives. So Advent is a fitting word for us to use to celebrate uh, the time when we anticipate the arrival of our King of Kings, yeah? Yes. And we celebrate this in two ways. We look back at the promises that God made to his people to send a Messiah to save the world. And we look ahead to the promise of Jesus Christ's return. Both things are good news. And that's why we say Advent is a season of hope. And biblical hope is the confident expectation that God keeps his promises. And since we have the privilege of looking back and seeing that God does keep his promises, right? Jesus, he came to redeem the world, right? That gives us the hope to look forward and wait expectantly for Christ to return and make all things new. And we talked about that last week. We talked about waiting. And this week, uh, we're going to talk about waiting. <laughs> Yeah, because as Christians, as followers of Christ, uh, we are a people who wait, and we are called to be a people who wait, and uh, we need and should be a people who wait well. Yeah? What does that look like? Uh, well, uh, we talked about how waiting like the world is not how we're supposed to wait, right? We're not supposed to wait with our hands out, all gimme, gimme, gimme right? Uh, that's mine. I've earned it, and I want it now, and I don't care if it's at the expense of others because I deserve it more. And I'm glad we don't wait like that, right? <laughs> Imagine waiting like the world and getting what we want and at the expense of others. And by the expense of others, I mean that another human being gets less, Okay, less what? I don't know, less work, less pay, less bread, or less opportunity, less justice, less dignity, less humanity. I mean, imagine the church, the bride of Christ, with her hands out, waiting for her groom with her hands out, as she steps on the hands of others, as she ignores the cries of hunger and injustice. Or worse, she steps on the hands of others on purpose because they don't believe like her, because their sins are unforgivable. And they deserve to be pushed down and ignored. Well, she holds her hands out for God's grace and forgiveness. she turned John 3.16 into a bumper sticker. 
Let's put a pin in that. And usually when I say let's put a pin in that, I mean we're going to come back to that later. But this time, I mean let's put a pin in that. And let's take that disgusting picture that I just described of the church ignoring people and hating people and thinking that it's okay because Jesus will forgive her. Let's pin that disgusting picture to the wall right in front of our faces, right? So that when we see it, we are horrified that our hearts can look like that. But no, let's pin it to the palm of our hands so that when we open our hands, we see that disgusting picture and it stops us like a shock of pain. And may it break our hearts enough to return to God and repent. And may it encourage us to actually be a people who wait well. Amen. That's Sermon A. Here's Plan B. What does waiting well look like? I'm afraid to ask. Now, last week, we looked at Jeremiah 33. We looked at his life as a biblical prophet. And a biblical prophet is one called by God to speak his word to his people, right? They're not fortune tellers, and they don't predict the future. Okay, they reveal what God says will happen in the future. And, uh... Most of the times those come as warnings because what the prophet's really doing is he has words from God to his people about their present, right? He sends correction. Uh, biblical prophets don't warn Israel, hey, you know, Babylon's coming soon to destroy you, so build up your army now. No, what they say is, hey, you're not keeping God's commandments. You're worshiping idols. You're ignoring God. And if you don't repent and come back and worship him faithfully, then God promises to send an army to destroy you. And we know how it goes. They don't repent, and God does send an army. But sprinkled around in the books of the prophets, there's also promises of hope. God makes sure to plant these seeds of hope for Israel, and it's so loving. It is so loving. I've heard people complain about the Old Testament, saying that it's too harsh, and they don't like God's wrath, and there's no grace. They say things like that. And if you feel that way, I suggest that you read it again, and come read it with us in our Bible group, because I think you'll find you don't have to dig. You don't have to mine the Old Testament to find God's grace, because it is just lying around on the pages. Yeah. So we looked at Jeremiah's life as he spoke and waited for God's promises. And uh, how did he wait? You know, he worked and he worshiped and prayed and he witnessed and he suffered firsthand with the people, you know. He wept for and with the people. And sprinkled there among the destruction and famine and death was God's promises to his people to send a Messiah, right, uh, to save them they can't save themselves, and neither can we. So this week, we're going to look at another biblical prophet, uh, Malachi, to see what God said to his people through him, and let's see what we can learn from it, okay? 
And Bible scholars put Malachi in with the prophets who came after the exiles had returned to Judah and Jerusalem because he mentions that the temple is up and running by this time. And, um, and that seems to be part of the problem in Malachi. God sends his people and his priests correction for their sins against him. It's a really convicting book, by the way. And it's a very short book. And I think you could read it this afternoon if you wanted to. Um, he's correcting his people and priests. And it's written in this really cool way. Okay, um, it's like God is having a conversation with his people. But also, it's God who's doing all the talking. It's really cool. And each chapter has these accusations. God is telling the people how they have sinned against him, and the people's response is always, how have we sinned against you? You know, like in chapter 1, God says uh, in verse 6, a son honors his father and a servant his master. If then I am a father, where is my honor? And if I'm a master, where is my fear? Right? And he says, uh, O priests who despise my name. But you say, how have we despised your name? And he says, by offering polluted food upon my altar. But you say, how have we polluted you? You know, do you see how the people respond each time that God reveals their sin? It just, it continues like that in each chapter. Um, like in chapter 3, uh, God says, you've been robbing me. Guess what their response is? How have we been robbing you? You see the pattern God shows them their sins, and it's like news to them that they've done anything wrong. God says, you've been robbing me, and the response is, prove it. He said, you've dishonored my name, you've polluted my altar, and the response is, prove it. And he proves it. Chapter 1, verse 8. When you offer blind animals in sacrifice, is that not evil? When you offer lame and sick animals, is that not evil? Present that kind of gift to your governor. Will he accept you or show you favor? Yeah. Give your governor a sick goat and see how pleased with you he is. So why are you doing this at my table? He tells them they're profaning his table with unworthy offerings, and they don't care. Verse 13, but you say, what a weariness this is, and you snort at it, says the Lord of hosts. You bring what has been taken by violence or is lame or sick, and this you bring as your offering. This is what you bring to your father, your master, your king, your God. What a weariness this is. The people treat their sacrifices, their offering, their worship like it's an inconvenience. And to add insult to injury, when they do bring him a sacrifice, they don't bring their best. They don't even bring a whole ram or lamb, right? They've been, they bring one that's been mangled by another animal. Here, God, here's some roadkill. Yay us! Do you think God likes that? No. Do you think he's proud of his people for their sacrifices? No. And in chapter 2, 
he tells the priests what he's going to do to them because they're the ones in charge of the sacrifices. And they're the ones accepting these chewed up, infected animals on behalf of the Lord and saying, sure, this is fine. He won't notice. So he says to these priests who dishonor him, it's uh, in chapter 2, verse 2, if you don't start honoring me, I'm going to send the curse on you. The curse. What is that? I don't know, but I am nervous. It sounds really specific. And he says, I'll curse your blessings. Now I'm terrified. And then he says, I'm going to take the dung from your mangled, sick sacrifices, and I'm going to smear it on your faces. That's a poop face. And I just went from nervous to terrified to totally excited that I got to say poop face in a sermon (laughs) and that my niece and nephew are here. (laughs) I will hear about this later. God says if they don't listen and start honoring him for real, he's going to give them poop faces, and that is in the Bible. And then he reminds the priests of his covenant with them, with the tribe of Levi. In 2.5, he says, My covenant with Levi was one of life and peace. It was a covenant of fear, and he feared me. He stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth, and no wrong was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness, and he turned many away from iniquity. For the lips of the priest should guard knowledge, and people should seek instruction from his mouth. For he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. He's the messenger of the Lord of hosts. But you have turned aside from the way, and you've caused many to stumble by your instruction. And so I make you despised and abased before all the people. Poop faces. The priests were supposed to teach the people God's way. They were his messengers, but they teach them the wrong way. But there is hope. The priests have made their choice to be wicked and to slack off and say that that's good. And this leads the people to slack off because they're doing what the priests are doing, right? It must be okay. But it is not. But here's the hope. It's chapter 3, uh, verse 1. Uh, actually, it's the scripture reading for today. We finally got into the scripture reading today. Behold, I send my messenger... And he will prepare the way before me, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver And he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver. And they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord, as in the days of old, as in former years. 
Now look at all that good news. God says, as messengers of my way who were to teach my people how to be a holy people, you failed. You've made them wicked just like you. But I'm sending my messenger. Interesting fact. Malachi means my messenger. I don't know what to do with that. I, don't, I wanted to put that somewhere in the sermon. There's nowhere to put it. So just sidebar. It's cool. God says, I'm sending my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me, the way that you turned aside from, right? The one that you caused the people to stumble away from. The way, my way, will be prepared by my messenger, and the Lord will come to his temple. Look at all that promise. The wicked cannot stop God's messenger from preparing the way of the Lord, right? And we know from the Gospels, like every gospel, that John the Baptist was this messenger that God promised to send to prepare the way for Jesus. And I only mention that so that we get Advent points. You have to mention John the Baptist or it won't count. <laughs> but did you notice all the grace in this passage? Uh, the priests, the sons of Levi that he has just cursed and made into poop faces. He says, who can endure the day of his coming? He's like a refiner's fire, like fuller's soap. These are things they're familiar with, okay? Especially the soap, because it was a really strong soap uh, used to keep linen cloth white. Okay, that's part of their job. So think of it as like laundry soap and bleach. Yeah, would you ever wash your body with laundry soap and bleach? No, don't. It would, I mean, do you enjoy chemical burns? I don't know. No, don't. It would be terrible. So the Lord is going to purify the sons of Levi, the ones he's cursed, right? The ones for their lousy sacrifices. And he's going to go beyond just cleaning their faces. Right? He's using fire to refine them like gold and silver. They will become pure and precious and they will bring righteous offerings to the Lord. And don't you love that? He promises to make them holy, not because they deserve it, but because he wants them. It would be way easier to throw away dirty laundry that has impossible to clean stains on it. But the Lord is like, no, no, I got this. There's so much grace. Yeah. So, how do we tie this into waiting? Are you scared? Me too. Last week I mentioned that we're people who wait, but that we should not wait alone. Right? There's no such thing as a church of one. So we wait together as a family, a community. And we weep together and we celebrate together. And we worship together. And this is why we gather on Sunday morning, right? To worship God. This is called a worship service. The whole thing. The whole thing is worship. Right? And I know that there's other ways to worship God than just singing songs. Okay? In fact, Liz and I did a workshop on this last summer. Uh, but when we gather as a church on Sundays, we usually worship in song, right? 
And let's face it, we are a vineyard church, okay? Music and song is kind of a thing. So, how's that going? If we're going to wait well for Jesus to return, should we check ourselves and see where our hearts are in our worship? You know, have we become like the priests that Malachi was talking to? Are we bringing our best anything to our worship? Or are we chronically bringing mangled, half-chewed worship? Just asking. I know what it costs the worship leaders to lead us, but what about the rest of us, right? I'm counting myself in this because I haven't been on a worship team in over a year. In fact, my bass guitar probably turned into dust. I haven't opened the case. So for those of us not leading, what does it cost us? What's our sacrifice and do we bring our best? Now I know, we are getting older. <laughs> and we have bad knees and hips and backs. Who else had a coffee and an Advil for breakfast today? I call it like the breakfast of former champions. Thank you. So if you have physical issues that prevent you from standing or kneeling or any kind of posture of worship, then obviously this is not directed at you. But if you have bones and muscles that work, then listen. Also, if you feel a certain passion about standing up and putting your hand over your heart to honor the flag of your country while the anthem is being played, then would you please consider offering at least a similar courtesy to your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? Showing up on time would also be great. Who does she think she is? Now, for those of you at home who watch the worship service on the internet, I have a question. Now, obviously, if you have a health issue, a physical or mental health issue, or a financial issue, this is not directed at you. If you're staying home to avoid the plague, this is not directed at you. But if you started watching the worship service online during the COVID shutdown last year, but now you're back to living your life like before, you're back at work and the kids are at school and you go to extracurricular activities like concerts and movies and sporting events, Christmas parades, but you haven't come back to church, my question is the same question I asked us in the room. Are you offering God your best? What does this cost you? What is your sacrifice? 
If you're back to doing your life, but you only tune in to part of a worship service sometimes when you remember that it's on or when you accidentally run across it while you're doom scrolling on Facebook, and you call that your worship for the week, what does this cost you? Do you feel connected to your church family? Are you being spiritually fed? And I'm asking these questions because I love you. I miss your face off. And I love you guys too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Did that feel like a consolation prize? I'm sorry, I didn't mean it to. <laughs> but I think it's worth considering our worship and our worship habits. I don't think we can be a people who wait well if we're not a people who worships our king well. Right? So let's not be a people who offers God our worst and expects him to think it's our best. Let's not be a people who say of worship, what a weariness this is. Let's work on our hearts and attitudes so that we are not chronically holding up roadkill to God and thinking, that's good enough. He won't notice. He won't notice that I give way more of my time and energy to everything else before I give it to him. He won't notice that I can watch a four-hour football game and study it intently and know every play in person on the field, but I can't make it to a one-hour worship service for him. Or if I do, I get bored and play Candy Crush during the sermon. <laughs> Everybody look up for me, Ron. We'll stop. Let's pray. Father, we love you and we need you. Please forgive us for thinking that you're okay with being served last. We're sorry that we too often serve ourselves first. And we want to wait better. Jesus, we love you and we need you. Thank you for your arrival, your sacrifice, and the resurrection that means that we are judged as forgiven. We look forward to your return, and may our hands be holding good gifts for you. And Holy Spirit, we love you, and we need you. Please help us to not be wearied by worship, and help us change our hearts. Help us put the Lord first. God, we love you and need you. Thank you for all the grace that you generously give us. In Jesus' name, amen.